0: what do you think about these shoes are they too pink no i love them
1: okay because i do have another pair no no go with those those are like a statement okay hello and welcome to happier in hollywood the podcast about how to be happier healthier saner more creative more successful and more productive in a backfighting, superficial chaotic unpredictable fundamentally insane world I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. And with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 17 years, Liz. That's
0: me, Liz Kraft, also a TV writer and producer living in L.A. On this podcast, we talk about what it's like to be writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of
1: attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Happier in Hollywood is all about how to survive and thrive no matter where you are or what you do. In this episode, we'll talk pitching, and we don't
0: mean baseball. I don't think we'll ever have anything to say on the topic of baseball. Probably not. (laughs) We'll also answer a listener question about the Hollywood dress code. Is it better to be
1: more casual or more formal? Mm -hmm. Wiring minds want to know. Indeed. And we have a very special Hollywood Hack segment, Why You Should Have a Side Hustle, with the host of Side Hustle School, Chris Gillibo.
0: So, Sarah, let's get started with a listener question. Actually, two listener questions on the same subject. What to
1: wear in Hollywood. It's a big subject. Yes. So we got an email from Donna and she wrote, I've always been fascinated by the behind the scenes details of Hollywood. So I'm loving your new podcast. Thanks, Donna. (laughs) Um, I have a question about women dressing for interviews in your world. It sounds like you guys look for pretty casual clothing vibe in your interviewees. You'd mentioned T-shirts as the standard uniform in one episode. I see a double standard about work attire all the time in business offices. A man comes in for casual Friday in a nice T-shirt and jeans. But if a woman wears the equivalent, she's asked if she's not feeling well. (laughs) or if it's a laundry day. That made me wonder if the same is true in Hollywood. Do women in behind-the-scenes kinds of jobs in Hollywood face the same what-to-wear-to-an-interview struggles as women in the plain old corporate world? If a man and a woman show up for the same job, both in super casual t-shirt and jeans, will the woman need to worry that she won't be taken as seriously if she doesn't make an effort to be more fashionable? So many good questions oh my God. packed in there. Yeah.
0: And then, Sarah, around the same time we got that question from Donna, our friend Nichelle, who is a TV writer. Fabulous one. She said, you've touched on it a little bit. Are you going to talk more about, quote, meeting outfits? That caused me endless stress when I first started out. The exact right level of casual, especially for women, is tricky to hit. That's so true. Okay, this is something we discuss between ourselves constantly. Oh, endlessly. Yes. And have
1: for 17 years. Absolutely. (laughs) And we still don't have really an answer. Right. I mean, it's still a big subject. Yes.
0: But as we discuss it today, I think we can agree that the most important thing when you go to an interview is to feel powerful. And comfortable and comfortable, both.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, we don't really do interviews per se. We just have meetings, which which we've mentioned meetings. You know, but we did recently for our new job on for the people, um, which is a new. ABC show coming up. About lawyers. We had a public defender come in and talk to us and it was really interesting because a lot of the things she said were really relatable to how we feel about meetings. Like she said she always wears heels because heels make her feel powerful. In court. In court. Only, right, in court specifically. And like you do wear heels to meetings fairly often. I never do. I do. do.
0: I don't know why because as my husband has pointed out many times, it's not as if I'm so graceful in my heels (laughs) but I feel more more confident in a meeting if I am wearing heels.
1: right? And then there's also a difference in dressing for meetings with writers or executives yes. and what you wear to a pitch. That is yes. a different level of dressing.
0: Yes. And we're going to talk about pitches coming up in this episode um, and what a pitch is and what we wear to a pitch. But one thing is, with if you're meeting with another writer... You can just be much more casual, although you still want to always look nice and put together. Not talking about going to work now, talking about a special meeting. Right. With executives, you might be a little dressier because executives tend to wear themselves much dressier clothes, they wear really nice dresses. Not suits so much, but jeans with heels. And a blazer,
1: some kind of fabulous blazer. Right. I Whereas
0: I would feel if I wore a blazer to a meeting, I might as well be wearing
1: a wedding dress. Right. I, I, w-
0: <laughs> I would just feel absolutely overdressed. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, what in the hell does she have on?
1: Right. Even with jeans. You Even think. with jeans. Right. <laughs>
0: I would feel way overdressed in a blazer. Yeah. Uh, but for an executive, it's an absolutely perfect outfit.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: Now, Sarah, as you know, where I really... Really go casual is if we're interviewing someone. So if yes. we have meetings with writers who we might be hiring or interviewing assistants, I will often just break out my bad, nasty sweats. Right, I just can't be bothered. I figure they're not going to judge me as much because they're looking for a job. I don't know if it hurts us. I don't know if people see it and go, God, I don't want to work for her. I don't think so. I think
1: in a lot of ways, you know, we talk about uh, sort of power moves and that's something actually Gretchen wrote about in that book. She wrote Power, Money, Fame, Sex, which is one of my favorites. To me, it seems like just like a, this is me. It's a power move. Like, we had somebody come in for an interview in, like, super casual jeans, super casual T-shirt um, the last time we were staffing a show. And I think about that fairly often because mm. it really made a statement. And I felt like she was just supremely confident. She also had a resume
0: to back it up.
1: She did, but so do you.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> um, good point. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, now here on the subject of dressing for meetings, if you're not, you know, in the position where you feel that you can wear sweats, um, (laughs) is a subject that could get controversial Mm -hmm. because it sounds very crass, what I'm about to say. But again, we've talked about this privately behind the scenes many times, Mm -hmm. which is that if you're going in for a meeting and you're looking to get hired or someone to buy something from you or whatever it may be. And I think this is true in Hollywood. I think it's true out of Hollywood. For sure. Is that you want to look like you have money because usually in most industries, not every industry, but certainly in Hollywood and in many others, having money is equated with success. Right. So you want to have something on your person that appears to be expensive. So even if you're wearing jeans, you have a really nice purse or a nice watch or my favorite, really nice shoes that are clearly a cut above the norm.
1: Yes. Executives are brilliant at doing that. Yes, I think like I've never seen an executive in shoes that weren't just like knock you out shoes. Yeah, And you wear those to meetings. No, it's true. Like you can wear sandals, but they have to be expensive sandals. Like you can wear Birkenstocks, for example. I wear Birkenstocks all the time. Yes, you but do. they can't be knockoff Birkenstocks, right? Because people
0: will notice, and it's not that they care. Oh my God, she wore knockoff Birkenstocks. <laughs> it's more to me a uh, implicit connection, intangible yeah. to success. Yeah. it's like, oh, I, I don't
1: even know how to describe it. This person it. can accomplish the job I'm asking them to accomplish.
0: Yes right. because and they've done it before and yeah. they don't need the job. I mean so much mm-hmm. of it in Hollywood is about not seeming to need a job because right. people want to be work with people who are already
1: successful. Right. And we're not saying like you have to go in in a $700 shirt and $900 shoes no. and like it's it's just Wear something that makes you feel comfortable and powerful and have that one statement piece. The other thing, which is very important to this, is that you can wear the same outfit to every
0: meeting as long as it's not the same person over and over oh again. Oh, my God, yes. 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 Uh, That is brilliant.
1: Yes. Just get your one meeting outfit that you love and utilize it again and again. We had um, this one woman come in. This was, I don't know, like five years ago or something. And she was wearing this blouse that just like knocked us out. Yes. We were blown away by her blouse. It was gorgeous. Her whole outfit looked incredible. Yeah. It was impeccable. But the blouse blouse was was the was the the standout. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then three days later, we were going for a meeting on another lot, and she was wearing the exact same thing. Yes, and we—that's comforting. Like it's comforting. Yeah, we we're to like, know that oh, other people phew. Do
0: she doesn't have a closet full of those blouses. Right. That's her meeting outfit. She's got it down, and yeah. she was going to meet on another show,
1: and it was very funny. <laughs> um, and then, of course, black is always safe. Yes,
0: um, I almost always—I'd say nineteen times out of twenty—end up wearing blue jeans, black heels of some sort and a black shirt cuz i just feel like it's safe. Yes. Now yesterday
1: was an exception That's to that for you. That's true.
0: It was. I wore a white shirt, blue jeans and pink shoes. Pink shoes. Yes. yes. That i was i was being bold. Yeah. I all oh, i brought them with me to the office That's true. (laughs) A black shirt, blue jeans, and black shoes, in case at the last minute I was like, I must wear that to feel comfortable. (laughs) Now, you wear dresses. You mix it up a lot more.
1: Yeah, I do. I Like last year, my pitching outfit, and again, I did the same outfit over and over and over, was like kind of a long, flowy dress with my denim jacket. And I got some great earrings that I really loved. And I had like a little bag that was matching. And I just felt really comfortable.
0: And you had some sandals that were a step up from what you would normally wear. Yes, exactly,
1: <laughs> a step up from my usual Birkenstocks. <laughs> yeah, um, but I very often wear jeans. Um, yesterday I wore like leggings and a little dress. Yes, um, but I more often than not will be in jeans and like nice shoes and some kind of top. So,
0: Sarah, here is the question, and I think it's a, it's not an easy question. It's if you're a woman, I mean. Everything we're saying is really women. Let me just say, if you're a man, wear jeans and a T-shirt and sneakers or jeans and a button-down and sneakers. Or if you want to, jeans and a button-down and, you know, some kind of lace-up, whatever, fancy man shoe. I don't know what they're called. Um, (laughs) And you're fine. Men do not have to think about this. No, really don't. It's all about women. But So the question is, if you're a woman, is it better to err on the side of being too formal or too casual?
1: Definitely better to err on the side of being too casual.
0: If you're in Hollywood, in Hollywood, for sure. If you're somewhere else, probably better to err on the side of being too
1: formal, I would think. I think it would depend on the industry. If you're in a creative industry, maybe too casual? I don't know. I don't know. People, let us know.
0: I'm curious what other people think who aren't writers, if it's better to be too casual or too formal.
1: Does anyone wear a suit anymore? Like oh, I want to know suit. that. It I think seems... lawyers do, but that's probably it. But even like your dad's a lawyer. I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't he think doesn't always do wear time. a suit. That's true. Yeah. So please weigh in on the debate. Instagram your meeting outfits to hashtag happier in Hollywood. And we will Instagram what we wore to our big pitch yesterday. I'm at S. Fain, and Liz is at Liz Craft.
0: All right, Sarah, let's move on to a segment we call from the treadmill desks of where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches this week. And this week, what's most pressing
1: is... Pitching right yesterday, we had a network pitch. We sure did, which means we went into the network and sat down with all the executives and pitched them an idea for a new hour-long drama. So, just to set the scene a little bit, when we say we're going into a pitch, it's in this case, it was me and Liz and Marcia Clark, and then our two executives from Mandeville, including Lori Zacks, who we interviewed in episode seven. Yes, and then three executives from ABC Studios. And so we're, like, on one side of the room, and then sitting across from us on the other side of the room are four executives from ABC Network.
0: Yes, and it's a room of couches. It's not like a conference room. It's it's supposed to be cozy and fun.
1: Which it is, sort of. It sort of is for a (laughs) a terrifying situation. Um, So anyway, we pitched the project that we've mentioned before that we're working on with Marsha, and we're so excited about it.
0: Yes. and We can't talk about it yet, but um, (laughs) we will at some point. It's going to be good. Yes. Anyway, so today, because we have been all about preparing for that pitch and then doing the pitch yesterday, we thought we would talk about pitching in a Hollywood context, and then we're also going to talk about why the ability to give a good pitch is applicable anywhere in basically any job.
1: Exactly, because what we call pitching, others may just call giving a presentation. So, like a project manager at a Fortune 500 company may have to do a PowerPoint presentation, or if you work in insurance, maybe have to give a presentation on a new product or plan. My friend Christine, who works in the healthcare industry, is constantly like presenting new laws to her staff and talking about how they need to be implemented. That's essentially a pitch. Yeah. Often these days, when we think about pitching, we think of it in a Silicon Valley framework. You know your startup to investors. But in Hollywood, writers have been pitching since the dawn of movies and television.
0: Yes, it's something we have to do a lot of, and it's a huge topic, one we could probably talk about for episodes and episodes. But today, we're going to specifically talk about selling a show to a network, or at least trying to. <laughs> we did, I have to say, spoiler alert, yes. we did sell our pitch yesterday. Did we already say that? Uh, no, I don't think we did. We sold it in the room. Yes,
1: in the room, which we we'll talked about. So, Sarah, there are really two parts of a pitch preparation and execution. Yeah. So, first, should we tackle the preparation yes. part of pitching? Yes. Which is really the, almost the harder part, I guess. For sure. Yes. Um, so, th- the first step in preparing your pitch is knowing more than you need to know. Yeah. We spend a lot of time and I mean hours, weeks, months talking about the project that we're going to pitch.
0: Yeah. So in general we're going to go in there we're going to pitch what the show is, who the characters are, what happens in the pilot. What happened season one, and then what might seasons two, three, four, five, six, seven look like? Not in detail, but sort of how does this show exist moving forward in the world? A lot of times, we also want to pitch the very beginning of the show to capture their attention. Right. So all of that stuff we talk
1: about for, as you said, days, weeks, months. Because the more you know, the more comfortable you will be going in, and that's a big part of it. Um, and then once we've talked about it, we structure it. Yes. You feel passionately about this because you're a wedding toast person.
0: Yes. I'm one of these people that thinks nobody should wing a wedding toast. I have (laughs) very rarely heard a good extemporaneous wedding toast. But unless you're truly extraordinary in that sense, you want to have at least a structure for what you're going
1: to say. Yes. And then know what's best for you in terms of delivering the pitch. Some people like to write every single word out. Some people like to like sort of wing it. Some people want to have bullet points or lists. Know yourself. Know how you're going to be most comfortable presenting it.
0: Yeah. Sarah, you and I usually write it out word for word. Yeah. We often walk in with a nine-page document that literally says exactly what we're going to say in the pitch. And then we read it over and over and practice. That's another part of preparation mm-hmm. so that we can kind of look back and forth between the executives.
1: Right. And interestingly, this time we didn't do it exactly that way. We really didn't decide who was going to say what. Um, Except in a few key places. And because we really wanted it to be more of a conversation. Yeah, kind of a more lively exchange.
0: So it also depends on what the project is. Right. Should, I mean, to this point, should sort of influence how you think about what your pitch is going to be. But you want to think about
1: it. You want to think about it and you want to know in advance and know that like you're not tied to one thing. There are multiple ways to do it and do the one that works for you. Now, you
0: and I think practicing is really important. Yeah. You don't want to go in there cold because you sometimes don't know what your holes are or what part of the material you're not comfortable with until you've done it out loud. So get a friend, get somebody to sit Mm. there and listen to you do it. It has to be for someone, ideally, not just to yourself. Right. You can't
1: just sit alone in your bedroom and do it. Although I also do that.
0: Yes. But I just mean you want both. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, And then there's just mental stamina. Pitches can loom for weeks or months, and it's a really terrifying, high-stakes thing to do. So you have to sort of mentally prepare yourself and have your rituals and your things that you do to kind of calm yourself.
0: Yes. Like, as you know, Sarah, every time we pitch to a network, not necessarily the studio because it's a little more casual. First, just to explain, we we do our pitch initially for the studio who were our selling partners, and then we go to the network. So I may or may not do this for the studio, but definitely for the network, I have to get my hair blown out. Yes. Um, Sarah, you always... I always get a pedicure. That's what I do before everything.
1: I always yeah. get a pedicure. That's your mental preparation. Yeah, my so, relaxation.
0: Yeah, even if it has to be like a few days before... I just like
1: going in my knowing that my toes are going to look nice.
0: Yeah, which I mean, fair enough. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And other people do, you know, whatever they do. So, you know, whatever works for you to get you in that frame of mind to pitch. And then, of course, there's putting on your pitch clothes. So this moves to execution. Now we're moving into the pitch. And we were talking about clothes earlier, um, to stress it again, about wearing something that makes you feel comfortable and powerful. Right. And then you take a beta blocker. Oh, yes. (laughs) An hour before the pitch, I take a beta blocker. And if for anyone who doesn't know, a beta blocker is something that blocks adrenaline. So because I get so nervous, it keeps my hands from shaking at least too badly and my voice from shaking at least too much. It doesn't do anything to your mind. It's not like a Xanax or something where you actually have some sort of mental change. It just blocks adrenaline. So that really helps me. And according to my doctor, It's something a lot of people use. Like he was using the example of pianists before competitions will use it to keep their fingers from shaking on the keys. Oh, that's So it's not just in my mind. According to
1: my doctor, it actually works. Oh, absolutely. And then once you're in the room, be prepared to chat. There are a lot of people who are coming in who you want to just like set a casual tone, a casual, comfortable tone. And they'll do that too. That's really their job. And
0: in L.A., we all have to hug each other. Yes, exactly. don't know if that
1: happens in Iowa, but in L.A.,
0: (laughs) we all hug
1: and make sure you have a drink. Yes. You must have water. And then there's this confidence thing.
0: I think it's easier for men than women to just come in and be like, "This is the best pitch you've ever heard. Right. You're going to love it." And I think as women, we feel like we want to undersell ourselves. Resist that urge. Right.
1: Be confident. Even if inside you're quaking, on the outside show confidence. And having said all that, know that no matter how confident you may seem, you may not get a reaction. Right. A lot of times you're pitching your Guts out and your heart out, and you're kind of pitching to blank faces. Yes. This was not the case yesterday. Yes, yesterday we had was a actually great. Audience great. Yesterday. Um, but often it's just people are just kind of looking at you and taking notes, and you're really not getting anything back. You have to know that that's coming and just roll with it. Yeah, don't let it throw you.
0: Yeah. So that is Hollywood pitching 101. But as we said, pitching is something that almost everyone has to do at some point.
1: Yes. And to illustrate this, We invited my friend, Victoria Massengale, to join us. Hi, Victoria. Victoria. Hello, ladies. Uh, So Victoria is a real estate agent to the stars and also to me. She helped me sell my first dream home and buy my second dream home.
0: Am I right in remembering that Victoria got you nine offers for your house in like a day? Yeah,
1: it was insane. She is exactly what you want and like someone who's going to help you through this incredibly stressful time in your life. Um, So welcome, Victoria, to the Pitching Conversation. Thank
2: you so much for having me.
1: And you were listening to us talking about pitching. Did
0: what we were talking about resonate with you as a real estate agent, like what you have to do?
2: A lot of it absolutely resonated with me. There's a little, there's some variance in there, but um, I have a listing presentation and I go over it with my coach and I know exactly what I'm going to say. Wait, you have a coach. That's interesting. I do. I have a business coach I meet with um, a couple times a week. Oh, wow. So I I record myself. I'm very critical. I have my comps, my comparable homes that I go in with. And when I get into the house, knowing I'm prepared, I have a certain amount of confidence with my power dress on, start chatting with the people, and then I just don't say anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I do it for a very specific reason. I'll ask people leading questions. What kind of home would you see yourself in? Oh, well, I like Spanish. Oh, Spanish. And then that gives them the, the ability to open up and keep talking about it. Ah. The very, very last thing I want to do is talk about me. Uh-huh. Nobody wants to know about me. Uh-huh. They want to know what I can do for them. Oh, wow. So your pitching is almost like, its like listening. My pitching yeah. is absolutely listening. And it definitely gets to the point. People have a couple questions. They always want to know, what can you sell my house for? what's your commission? Uh-huh. How are you going to get it done? Well, so, what I
1: love about you is that you are not bullshitty. Having been through this process with you, you were like, you're not going to get what you think you're going to get for your house. And then I was like, well, I don't think I'm going to get that much. And you were like, okay, well, then you're going to do great. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to get more. I think <laughs> you yes. got And then you got me more. a lot more. So you didn't like oversell at all. Like you come in so well prepared, which well, goes to the preparation thing of
2: it. Well, it's really about being over prepared. And not just over-prepared in the pitch or in the listing presentation. My next step after we sign the contract is over-preparing the home. Mm-hmm. It's about staging. It's about making sure the door handles are tightened. Right. It's yeah. like, no, you staged my house brilliantly, I will say. It looked good. <laughs> it looked amazing. It was good. Yeah.
1: So we talked a lot about nerves and how nerve-wracking it can be to do a pitch in a, as a television writer. How do you cope with that? Because you're meeting with a lot of very important people. You represent celebrities. How like how do you cope with nerves? Do you get them?
2: Yeah, of course I get nerves. I, I, everyone gets nerves. If they say they don't, they're completely lying. <laughs> um, a few breaths. I make sure I get I get there early. Try to get there mm. ten or fifteen minutes early and park down the street. Because if I park in front of their house, they see me. But if oh. I park down the street, <laughs> and I just kind of take a moment, breathe. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter if it's a business manager or if it's a celebrity or if it's a writer. That part doesn't make me nervous. Sometimes the price of the house makes me nervous. Mm. You know, there's always this feeling no matter how successful you are is maybe I'm not quite. There's always that tiny little voice of insecurity that you have to go, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, hold on. That's your thing. Don't bring that out. Right. So I think just like taking a step and going, okay, I can do this. That's is awesome. is really important sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Yesterday right before our pitch, Marsha was like, "All right, we got this. Let's go yes. back to like when we first had this idea and the incredible enthusiasm we had, and let's bring that into this. Yes, um, and just taking that moment is so important. And getting there early. Getting I can't there believe early. we didn't
0: say that earlier. I getting know. there early, yeah. so you're not rushing, sweating, panting,
2: <laughs> stressed out. Always arrive early. Yeah, it's everything. If you arrive frazzled, they're going to feel frazzled. Right. Yeah. If you arrive calm and relaxed, you're going to put them at ease.
0: So, Victoria, before we let you go, do you have three tips, say, on pitching as, you know, from your point of view as a real estate agent that we can share with everybody that, you know, will relate to all of our listeners?
2: Well, the very first thing, I think, for any pitch, no matter what the industry is, just be prepared The last thing I would want is to walk into a a listing presentation and have someone say, hey, so what the house two doors down sell for Mm. without knowing what the house two doors Uh. down sold for. That would be kind of horrific, and I would not hire that person. The second thing I would say is to just enjoy the silence. Okay, that's Mm. a great tip. It doesn't have to be filled. If you're talking to someone and they're, they they are stop speaking, they're probably thinking. Give them that opportunity because the more you let that happen, the more you're going to learn, the better you can be of service to that person. The third thing, and this is really after you've got the job, but just, and this is not something we've talked about at all, but just kind of own up to things. Yeah. If there's something that, you know, maybe isn't quite working out the way it should or... Maybe something's not selling as quickly as you thought it would or there needs to be an adjustment. Just be out there, be honest and say, hey, so let's look at this in a different angle.
0: That relates to our pitching in that if someone asks a question that we don't have an answer to, we often just say, you know, that's a great question. We haven't talked about that yet because the last thing you want to do is come up with a bad answer on the spot.
1: Right.
2: Oh, yeah. I don't know is always a valid answer. And people respond to that and they respect it. Yeah. I don't know, but I'll figure it out. Absolutely. All right. Victoria, thank
1: you so much for joining us. Thank you. So fun to talk to you always. I don't plan to sell my house anytime soon, unfortunately. So we're just going to have to hang out
2: (laughs) (laughs) in other ways. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks, Victoria. Do you have to pitch in your job? What are your tricks? Let us know at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Next up, we have a special Hollywood hack segment about why it's so important to have a side hustle with our special guest, Chris Gillibo. But first, a word from our sponsor. Happier in Hollywood is brought to you by The Four Tendencies, the book by best-selling author Gretchen Rubin that explains that people fall into four personality types— upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. These tendencies shape every aspect of our behavior. So understanding this framework lets us make better decisions, meet deadlines, suffer less stress and burnout, and engage
1: more effectively. Managers, doctors, teachers, spouses, and parents already use the framework to help others make lasting change. Just as important, people use it to understand themselves and to create the lives they want. This book I Every doctor friend I have, I'm going to recommend they read this book. It's such a great way to understand how to best communicate with your patients and help them help themselves. Yes, it'd be good for trainers, too, for yes. exercise. Yeah, The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin is
0: available for pre-order now, wherever you buy your books. All right, now it's time for our Hollywood Hack. And this week's Hollywood Hack is Have a Side Hustle. In Hollywood, the path to success is often not a straight line and may not pay for a very long time. So to get through that period,
1: a lot of people depend on side hustles. So with us to discuss this brilliant hack this week is Chris Gillibo. If you're not familiar with Chris, he's the very popular host of Side Hustle School, a daily podcast for everyone who works a regular job and wants to start an income-earning project on the side. In each episode, listeners hear a different story from someone who started a side hustle, along with what went well, how that person overcame challenges, and what happened as a result.
0: He's also the author of many books, including The $100 Startup and the upcoming Side Hustle School, which is available for pre-order now. I've already ordered mine. (laughs) Chris Gillibo, welcome.
3: Thank you so much for having me. Hey.
0: Hey. We wanted to talk to you today because every week we do a Hollywood hack and we thought, what's more necessary, a Hollywood hack, than having a side hustle? And you, of course, are the perfect person to talk to. But- For starters, Chris, for anyone who doesn't know, will you just explain the concept of a side hustle?
3: Awesome. Yes. Well, I do believe everyone should have a side hustle, but the way that I think about it is a side hustle is an income-generating project that you do apart from your day job, and most of the time, or at least ideally, it's some kind of creative project, it's something that you have ownership over, and it's some kind of maybe mini-asset that you're creating for yourself. So it's not just a part-time job. It's not just, you know, being a waiter or a server or whatever, like that's fine. We've all had to do that kind of stuff. But it's something that you're creating for yourself that can then support the rest of your life. So if you have a day job and you're happy in your day job, great, you keep doing that. If you're working on this big creative project, like you're, you're pursuing your Hollywood dream, then you keep doing that. And the side hustle is there to support it. Um, but it's also there to give you options, you know, because everyone needs options.
0: Yes, especially in Hollywood where it, things constantly, the bottom is falling out from you all the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. And it can take years. I mean, it can really take, we've talked about this before, it can take five years, it can take 10 years to get your career off the ground. And in that time, you really, it's really helpful to have something that you're passionate about that you do have ownership over that you can fall back on.
0: Yes. And I was going to ask you, how does one sort of go about trying to figure out what a good side hustle would be for them?
3: Yeah. You know, so we use that word passion and I don't think that's a bad word at all. I think you should do something that you enjoy and you like, but I think it might be more helpful when somebody's kind of starting this process for the first time. They're like, I've never done this before. You know, I encourage people to make a a number of lists. And so you can make Mm -hmm. a list of like the things that you like and the things you're passionate about. That's fine. But then I would make another list and focus a lot more on skills. All the different kind of skills that you have. And most people tend to have more skills than they think of at first. But for side hustles, it's really helpful to look at at secondary skills and what can you do that can be applied in a little bit of a different way. So if you have good communication skills, if you're good with organization, if you're good with logistics, just kind of understanding skills and traits is -hmm. a really good first step to thinking about, okay, then how do I apply this? How can I create my side hustle? You know, and then what do I do with that that then becomes a product or a service or something different?
0: So, Chris, one thing, you know, we talk about on our show is, you know, how to be happier in Hollywood. You don't live in Hollywood. You live in Portland. But how do you think having a side hustle makes someone happier?
3: Yeah, well, you know, we have a lot of creatives in, uh, here in Portland as well and, and people kind of pursuing dreams. And it's really important to do something that's different. And a lot of times we think about hobbies for that. But what if you could do something that you did enjoy? But then on top of all that, instead of costing you money, like a hobby usually does, it actually brings you money. And so then it's bringing you not only the extra money, which, of course, is great, but also this confidence and security. And I have just seen over and over and over, like through the stories of people I've featured on the show, um, stories of people that will be in the book that comes out this fall, like they have a disproportionate level of happiness that comes from starting a side hustle. And sometimes it's like they're not even making a ton of money. Sometimes, you know, in some cases, it's just like, oh, I'm making $500 extra a month or $1,000 extra a month. And first of all, that is significant, you know, to a lot of people. Second of all, it's like I made that. So I feel like that ownership element, you know, combined with the creative element is what kind of produces that happiness.
1: Yeah, you talk a lot about living with intention, and it does seem like living with intention is a big part of you know, having a happier life in general. Yeah, completely. Now, so this is personal for us because our old assistant left us so that she can work on uh, a spec script so she can get a job as a TV writer, which is her ultimate Mm. ambition. And in the meantime, she's surviving on side hustles.
0: Yeah, she actually said that when she quit. She said, "Okay, I have enough side (laughs) hustles now that I'm going to quit (laughs) this job, which takes up a lot of my time so that I can spend my days working on my
1: writing. So we, of course, are worried about her. So (laughs) (laughs) our next question is, how do you know if a side hustle isn't working for you?
3: Yeah, first things first, like, is it actually working? Like, is it making money for you, you know, based on whatever you need? If it's not working, I'm a big fan of encouraging people to stop doing different things and to try something else. Like, I feel like we kind of persist too long sometimes. Like, I think it's totally okay to say, like, I thought this was the right approach, but it's actually not, or I'm going to try something different. So, you know, that's the first thing. And second thing, I guess it could still be bringing in the money that you need, but, you know, it just kind of becomes a drain or it becomes more like a job or it takes away the energy or the creative outlet that you need to put toward your project or toward what you really need to do. So obviously people kind of navigate those choices in different ways and, and make their own decisions. But I guess I would always be asking the question, like, how does this project fit into my whole life? And does it support my whole life? And if so, that's great. And if for some reason that's changed, then I need to make a change with it too, somehow.
1: Absolutely.
0: That makes me think, before we let you go, Chris, we love mottos around here and mantras. Uh, And uh, I know you always sign off with your signature mantra. I would love for you mm -hmm. to say what it is because it's a great one.
3: Oh, sure. Thank you. It's um, Inspiration is good, but inspiration combined with action is so much better. And I have that because I don't want people to just say like, oh, it was like, a great show. I want them to say like, oh, that was interesting. And then I did something about it or that helped me in some way, gave me a little bit of a next step or at least an inkling of what I need to do to, to make a change in my life.
1: Wow. Um, I love that. And thank you so much, Chris. Thanks, um, it Chris. was so fun to thank have you. you here.
3: Thanks. You guys are awesome. I'll keep listening.
1: Well, that was... Fantastic! Yes, he's amazing. And now we want to hear from our listeners. Do you have a side hustle? Email us about it at happierinhollywood.com. And that's it for
0: this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Do you have to pitch in your job? Email us your tricks at happierinhollywood.com. And remember to Instagram your meeting outfits, hashtag happierinhollywood. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps
1: new listeners find us. If you have any pressing questions about life in Hollywood, leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21, or email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Special thanks to Chris Gillibo. Listen to his
0: fantastic podcast, Side Hustle School, wherever you enjoy podcasts. Also, thanks to Victoria Massengale for stopping by. Loved her tips. Visit her website at www.victoriam.net. And you can see Victoria's power outfit on her Instagram. She's at the underscore Massengale group. And we will link to that and to her website on our website, happierinhollywood.com. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lye. And thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. And if that's not enough thank yous, we also want to thank
1: my sister, Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter, at Sarah M. Fain, and Liz is at Elizabeth Kraft. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. So I heard you have a power dress.
2: I do. I have this pink dress that I absolutely love. And I have to tell you, as soon as I put it on, it just makes me feel like I can just go out there and do anything that day. Power. Yeah. (gasps) (laughs)